filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I've been left with the responsibility of opening the show, and I have nothing to say. Uh, you do it so, so seamlessly. Um, instead of playing along, I'm going to reveal our backstage process, which I is, mean, I could talk about Jimmy Eat World if you have nothing. I spent the weekend watching soccer, being upset about it, and then being overwhelmed by soccer news. There, there nothing else happened. Fine, then I went to, uh, back to my hometown of Cincinnati, uh, this weekend, and our first reason was to go see my parents, obviously. Uh, but then we also decided that, uh, the weekend that we were going to see my parents, there was also a Jimmy Eat World and Incubus concert happening in Cincinnati. So we went and saw that. And even though people were making fun of me online for living in 2001 because I liked Jimmy Eat World and Incubus and Bruce Arena, Jimmy Eat World was awesome. They were really great. Their new stuff is good. Their old stuff is good. Um, now that the middle isn't completely overplayed, you know what? It's a really good song, so screw you. And Incubus was also really good. So sometimes nostalgia is good, and sometimes it is delightful and fun. And there were 22,000 people there having a great time. So what of it? The only time I've seen Jimmy Eat World live was at the Houston New England MLS Cup final at RFK Stadium. Jimmy World was the halftime performer and they seemed this was what 2007 I want to say don't know. And they they seemed um they they seemed less than current then. So I'm I'm glad that you are living your truth Ben and that you are you're making it happen for yourself. 22,000 people were making it for themselves. Hey, and I'm happy for every single one of them. I, I don't think you are. I, th- I, I hear derision in your voice. Joyful derision, though. No, I don't accept is, your derision. Is such a thing as joyful derision? I, I, I don't accept it. <laughs> I'm making it a thing. Uh, no, I, no. I, I reject college, your reality. I, back in college, I was really into Incubus, and they, they played a few good shows that I saw. Um... I saw them at Indianapolis's, well, suburban Indianapolis's generic amphitheater, um, not unlike Jiffy Lube Live out in Virginia or uh, a less architecturally interesting Meriwether Post Pavilion. And there was basically a tornado that went through the neighborhood. <laughs> they pulled everyone from the lawn who would fit into the pavilion. And Incubus said, all right, we're just going to keep playing because this is an awesome crowd now. And eventually a roadie came out and grabbed the mic from Brandon Boyd and said, no, seriously, you guys have to take cover now. <laughs> Afterwards, yeah. they came out, played um, Riders on the Storm, and then just went back into their set, which was it, it was fun. They they rocked out. I saw them at uh, Pimlico for Virgin Free Fest once, too. And, you know, festivals are always hit or miss, but they were they were pretty good then. I don't really have 
a opinion, uh, an opinion either way about Jimmy Eat World or Incubus. They were bands that were around. Um, I never felt the middle is a good song. I never felt strongly about either band, um, but I do have a going to a concert and watching the band get stuck uh, dealing with uh, circumstances out of their control and just playing on anyway. Uh, George Clinton and uh, Parliament Funkadelic played a show at the University of Maryland, and they, I guess, either did not listen or no one alerted them to the fact that the there was a noise curfew at, like, 1030. Um, <laughs> so they just kept going, and 1030 came around, and someone came out trying to tell them, like, you have to stop um, due to the local noise ordinance, and they were like, we don't, we're not interested, we don't care. Um, and so someone turned the power off to their instruments. They were no longer able to play with electricity. They continued playing the music anyway. Uh, they just <laughs> kept going regardless. Um, they went on for like half an hour in the face of that. Uh, it was actually kind of bizarre because you really couldn't hear very much at that point. Um, this being a show at like the football stadium. Um, but yeah, they were like, we don't care. We're not done. So we're going to keep playing. And that's that. So I also have a uh, noise ordinance related concert story. Um, so as most people know, I went to the College of William and Mary, a renowned uh, nerd school. And somehow while I was there, we won an internet contest to have uh, the Ying Yang twins come to your school, which is just a, a, a bad fit all around for William and Mary. Um so it started off with, uh, the local, uh, very excellent, uh, but folk alt, uh, musician starting her set. She was the opener for the Ying Yang twins and it was just a complete non-fit at all. It made no sense whatsoever. And so then the Ying Yang twins came on. It was an outdoor set at, uh, William and Mary's amphitheater on the lake and, there was a representative from the city on stage the entire time. He was making sure that, uh, there was not enough, there was not profanity, uh, enough profanity being, uh, said in this concert because, uh, apparently people across the lake would be aghast if they heard profanity. Uh, and if you, uh right. Yeah. And if you know the Ying Yang twins, uh, you know how <laughs> ridiculous that is. <laughs> right. And so they made them do the radio edits of all of their songs. And then right at 10 p.m., the uh, official from the city, who is obviously a slightly overweight, middle-aged white man, uh, just trundled up and was like, you're done. He was like, this is over. And, and uh, forced the Ying Yang twins off the stage about uh, two-thirds of the way through their set. And it was just the most Williamsburg thing. Williamsburg, Virginia thing I, I could have ever imagined. That sounds like the least Williamsburg, Brooklyn thing you could have imagined. Other than other than Ying Yang twins uh, at a William and Mary party, that sounds very Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I, but I have a lot of other opinions about Williamsburg, New York that I'm not going to get into. But I, I slightly disagree with you. But we we should just move on. I don't want to move on because I know it's waiting for us when we move on. Let's not move on. I mean Williamsburg, Brooklyn is. I'm not getting into it. I'd rather talk about soccer. I think I think the thing here is that in in uh, the hipster part of Brooklyn, it would be the cancellation of this would be turned into an aesthetic. Like that that man <laughs> canceling the concert would himself be turning it into a hipster aesthetic. Um, because you don't 
go there to be on the edge. You go there to show it's like a performative thing. Um, and so even the act of being there and doing anything becomes in and of itself a performance. Um, sort of like, uh, what's the name of that, um, um, uh, uh, Synecdoche, New York, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the movie that's about a performance that becomes about the performance is the real life and it just becomes this loop, um, constantly going on and on and on. Um, and so it's kind of comes back to that, that Simpsons moment going back to concerts, um, where the two Gen Xers, uh, the one of them says something that sounds sarcastic and the other one's like, are you being serious or sarcastic? And he's like, I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> because how can you keep track of which one is your aesthetic and which one is your real life when everything can be your aesthetic? Well, we know that Ben's love of Jimmy Eat World is unironic, so... That's true. That we do have that it is unironic. That was you not that uh, So we know, we know we've got that at the very least. Is Hoobastank still a thing? If you dare compare Hoobastank and Jimmy Eat World, I will end this podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, demand, I demand satisfaction <laughs> on the Hoobastank-Jimmy Eat World controversy. Uh, ben, Ben, I'll go with you on this. As much as I had no opinion on Jimmy Eat World, I'll definitely say that they were better than Hoobastank. I wasn't. I, I, I meant. You were, no, you were. I did not you didn't compare them. Yes, you I did. was thinking yes, of a band from the same era that I yellow had. card, Switchfoot. <laughs> those are bands from that, roughly that time period. Which one of those had the fill? the Ataris? The Ataris is the comp you're looking for. Okay. Interpol came out around that time. Sure. They're still going, I think. Their music is... You didn't need to bring Hoobastank into this. I I was hitting below the belt, Ben. You were hitting below the Hoobastank. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we do our best sometimes not to talk about DC United, and we always come up short. Not unlike... DC United, who fell four to nothing in uh, Minnesota this weekend, and we're going to have to talk about that to some no, extent. To some extent, uh, there was also a metric crap ton and a half of news that dropped within about a twenty-minute span on Sunday night, and we are going to talk about that. There, there's player news. There's ownership news. There's more player news. It's it's a lot. And we're also going to preview DC United's match against Toronto FC that's happening this Saturday at RFK Stadium. We're going to have our good friend Kristen Knowles on from the Vocal Minority Podcast to help us preview that. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? Well, I'm not doing a shot this week because it didn't work last week, so why should I do it this week? Um, but I am drinking the least complicated beverage that I possibly can in my household. And so it is ginger ale and rum. It's not good. It's okay, but it's not good. I feel like something from the bottle would be less complicated. I'm just saying. I I didn't do that. I can't recall having ginger ale with rum. It's not great. Okay. (laughs) It's worse worse than bourbon and ginger ale, but it's less... 
It's less complicated than most other things. I mean, I've got some beers, but most of my beers are better. I mean, I've got PBR, and maybe I'll have one in, in the next segment, but even PBR doesn't deserve what DC United has done uh, on the field this year. So are we I, I did rum and ginger ale. Are, are you at least the, are you, the, 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 the section of the show where we're just doing experimental drinks um, if these losses keep coming? Like, the drinks don't even make sense. I mean, my, my uh, next thought is to do some sort of um, uh, shot that plunges into a uh, pint of PBR and combine it in that way, such I, such as... Maybe do a bomb. Uh, Can we do some help on this? Yeah, uh, I, I, I could do a bomb um, going forward, but I didn't do it tonight. But if yeah. DC United keeps playing the way they are, I'm going to start I, dropping, like, gin into a pint of PBR and chugging that. And no, nobody I, wants that, DC I'll United. The, nobody wants that. for the dirty bomb that my friends invented sometime about a decade ago. Um, it won't be good, and it might it might ruin your life. But it is a drink that has been invented. My life is already ruined. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I just threw together some uh, mezcal and some of this uh, jalapeno limeade that uh, Trader Joe's sells uh, because it was a pretty good drink. And as Ben pointed out, the uh, punishment shots it only made things worse. So it's time to like take a second and reconsider all of our strategies as far as. Uh, um, life influencing uh, the happenings in soccer games that we're not allowed to play in. Um, so yeah, uh, this is just a drink that I enjoy, and then we'll you know if if this week goes as horribly uh, as anything else, then maybe we can come back to uh, punishment in a different way. I'll, I'll figure something else out. I've I've got some pretty good drinking stories having to do with uh, mistake drinks like gin and coke or tequila and coke. Um, so those are possibilities, I guess. I'm drinking a uh, gin ricky with green hat gin because, yeah, the punishment didn't work. And it was so beautiful and cool outside on Sunday that the just seasonable weather today uh, felt warm, uh, especially out in the sunshine. So I, I decided to go with a ricky because of that. Quick, somebody distract me. We have uh, a few minutes before we have to move on to our next do, segment. And do you guys I, just do you want to hear the stories of tequila and coke and gin and coke? No, we really should talk about the game that happened in Minnesota. <laughs> I don't think there was one. That I mean, I as far as I'm concerned, the season was canceled half at you know fifty minutes into the game in Seattle. Uh. Which wasn't very long ago. Like, no. 10 days ago is when that game happened. And somehow it's just gotten worse from there. Um, what is it now? Uh, 12 consecutive goals over three games? 11. 11. It's not 11 consecutive because Boswell did score. Oh, yeah, there, there was that one um, goal. Yes. But still, they've they've given up 11 goals in less than five halves of soccer. Yeah. Uh, so from three up from, from three, nothing up in Seattle, they lost that game four to three lost at home against Houston three to one, and now have lost at Minnesota four to nothing. It was uh, a disaster from beginning to end. Uh, United did get some chances. Deshaun Brown mostly forced some turnovers and uh, put some shots on frame. Bobby Shuttleworth didn't have a lot of trouble saving them. 
Uh, Deshaun Brown needs to improve his finishing a little bit. Uh, and that, that was about it. Beyond that, it was Minnesota scoring three goals and Jared Jeffrey, uh, with one of the better finishes you're going to see from inside the six into his own net. And, and that was, that was the story in Minnesota. It, it's bad, fam. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's go bad. ahead, Ben. No, I was gonna, I was just going to start with, uh, like I like to harp on, and we'll get to it in the news segment and why it's not going to make it that much better. But uh, the defensive midfield is it, it's still just a disaster class in soccer playing, and uh, Marcelo can't play that position anymore. Uh, he, uh, him getting dispossessed in the midfield led to at least one, if not two goals. Uh, Jared Jeffrey doing similar led to another goal. And it's, it's just like Taylor Kemp also didn't have a great game. Bobby Boswell didn't have a great game. And we can talk later about why Bobby Boswell should never start again, any game in forever for DC United. But like we keep harping on it, just, it keeps coming from defensive midfield. And if you don't have a defensive midfielder who can actually play on the MLS level, you can't compete in games in this league. Yeah. And then yeah. you bring up the, the turnovers and that might be the the main thing that the main issue in this game is uh, as many, as many problems as there were. The main issue I had was that it was so easy for Minnesota to win the ball off of DC United so many different times. It was, it wasn't. It, this isn't an instance of saying that players need to be tougher. This is players need to be aware. Um, there was a lot of moments where United. I, I think on two of the goals, the turnover came where United didn't. Uh, whoever it was that turned the ball over wasn't unaware that a tackle was coming in, and the Minnesota players aren't flying in and putting in hard tackles. They are coming in, getting getting their feet set and trying to poke the ball away. It's not. Um, an overpowering tackle. It's just like, well, maybe I can just uh, poke this away and disrupt them a little bit. And we're so unaware that the ball gets poked away cleanly enough that it becomes a turnover going the other way. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it just seemed like every time that players from DC United were like, what? Well, who was that? Um, what's, what's happening? Uh, this, this guy in gray took the ball away from me. Is that even allowed? Um, so it wasn't Minnesota having to come like, crashing in and overwhelm DC United with physicality. It was just, there was a total lack of mental preparation for the fact that the other team might want to take the ball away from you. Um, it's like the, the, one of the most basic things in the world getting removed from your thought process. Like, okay, I've got the ball and we're the only team here. Uh, everyone's here to cheer against us, but it's 11 on zero. So it, everything's fine. I'm just going to turn up field to the empty net and we'll score. That'll be cool. Um, and then the ball gets poked away. It's like, what, what, uh, there's a guy that took the ball from me. Is that, are we doing this with another team? What's happening? Um, and meanwhile, Minnesota's living fully in reality. They're like, yes, you are playing against another team. We're going to go score a goal now because you don't know how to stop us. Um, and, and it's beyond frustrating to watch because it's, it's not a lack of effort. It's like a lack of mental engagement to even get to the point where the effort might be the problem. Um, it was like, are you aware that there's a soccer game to be played? Like, that's why you're on the, that's why you are where you are in this moment in time. You're on this field, in this stadium, in this uniform, because there's a game of soccer that you're, is a sport you're familiar with. Um, 
it's happening right now. Like it's going on as we speak. You're like I have, I was not ready to hear this. <laughs> There's a similar phenomenon on DC United's throw-ins in their own half. Oh man, it's yeah. and I think one the the first goal in this game came off of a DC United throw-in. Yep. I know you'd think that a a DC United throw-in would not lead to a Minnesota goal, but it did direct, basically directly. Um, the throwing came in. The recipient of the throw was immediately put under pressure. Minnesota got the ball very quickly. Hit an I, I don't know who it was. Hit a really nice curving, like curling diagonal ball into the path of Christian Ramirez. It was who, Kevin Molino. Who, oh, it was Kevin Molino. That's DC right. And I just didn't bother closing down. That was their plan against him. Was just let him have some space and see what happens. Yeah, and he had a a great long ball in behind yeah. the back line that Christian Ramirez ran onto and and finished very nicely and very strongly to the upper V on the far post. Uh, that's not the first goal United's given up off of their own throw-in this no. year. Or I, I think one of the goals in Seattle or or against Houston, one of them uh, came off of a throw-in. And United has just looked bad on their own throw-ins all year. I don't understand what it is, why they... If other teams just pressure DC United and or or what it is, but... United don't seem to ha- have a plan on throw-ins, and it's it's now leading to goals against, which is really bizarre to be th- that vulnerable on your own goals. I understand being vulnerable when you throw numbers forward, because that's a counterattack opportunity for the other team, but to be vulnerable on your own throw-ins when you're just trying to literally put the ball back in play, I, it's, it's flabbergasting to me. Um, and there, there are some implications that I think we will talk about on a future show, just because we're a little time constrained tonight. But man, yeah, and I think it come the fact that it keeps happening means that teams are keying on it now. Um, teams have figured out that this is a weakness, and they are scouting it, um, and they're they're basing the idea like this is a moment we can turn we can force a turnover where I assume that there's something in United's posture that's showing a a thought that well we have the we have the throw in so we're going to start already we're already going to start looking upfield and our focus is moving the ball forward and we're not going to think at all about what happens if we don't have the ball anymore um and so when the ball gets turned over quickly from a throw in united is not in a posture where they can do anything about it and they're immediately on the back foot they're immediately having to scramble and try and defend and you know on that on that goal they were already so far out of people were so far out of position that Molino never really got bothered, um, and that is part of the issue in central midfield. It's part of the issue with a team that just mentally did not seem awake in this game. Um, you know the the and and the other thing is like the moment that goal went in, the game might as well have ended uh, for DC United. They didn't. There was no rally. There was no anger that this happened. It was just sort of like well. You know, we're going to try and stick to our plan. And they did. And they even created a few shots. Um, they ended up, I think, with 18 shots in the game. Um, but, uh, I mean, creating shots is one thing. But this was one of those games where it was both bad and unlucky. So, like, they they wouldn't have scored. You know, they they could have had several breakaways and penalty kicks. And it would have they wouldn't have gone in. Um, this was one of those everything is going to go wrong games. Um which I kind of thought the Houston game was going to be that game until I guess Boswell scored. He kind of uh, maybe if he had missed that, we would have had not had to live through the every like 
it's sort of like the movies, uh, the Final Destination series, where uh, death is pursuing you no matter what, and even if you keep escaping, death just keeps trying to come up with new and preposterous ways to kill you. If you um, escape, yeah, you'll either die in the second yeah. act or in the sequel. Right, so, you know, if, if Boswell had not scored that goal, we just could have taken our death uh, and be done, been done with it, but because he did, it meant we had to live through another game where nothing can go right, so maybe we've gotten it in our systems, finally. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is, United are going to make good on that 1% chance that the, the analytics say they have to make the playoffs. No. No. Uh, what I'm saying is that they might not get completely destroyed by <laughs> Toronto FC based solely on a movie that I didn't even really enjoy um, because of the, the inner so workings. you're of saying Fantasy. there's a chance. No, we're not. No. Uh, I wrote an article about how there was no chance, and that was before this game. That was you before did. the Houston game. Um, so, yeah, things. Uh, it's a dark time. I mean, even... Even Bill Hamid had a bad game, we have to say. Um, at least two of those goals were goals that he would normally be expected to stop. Um, the second goal, the Abu Dhanladi goal, that one definitely should have been stopped. Um, the, the That's one where he got beaten to the near post, and the fourth goal probably is one he could have done better with as well. Um, so just to, put, just to put the icing on this cake, um, Tegan, the... I don't know if they're a German site uh, or what, but they they have a Twitter account eleven tegan eleven that compiles uh, eleven expected... tegan and Sarah eleven. No, no Ben. Okay. They they compile expected goals for games from many leagues, including MLS. And for the first time in a while, United actually um, had the greater expected goals number based on their model, which right. all expected goals models at this point in history are flawed and incomplete. But they are useful to to right. at least some extent, well, as long as you recognize that. And, and we have disagreed with their model specifically yes. this season. But, yeah, but I have it, to just this was hilarious. This yeah, yeah. Uh, because at this point, there's not much else you can do. Um, looking at that information, the uh, the fact that by an expected goals model, DC United should have won the game, um, or at least have been expected. I think what was it? it was pretty close. It like. When you round up, the expectation would have been like a 1-1 scoreline, I think. Um, it was something like 0.87 to 0.8 or something like that. Um, but yeah, the fact that, that that is the model expectation if you played the game 10,000 times, whereas the reality was it was 4 nothing, and no DC United fan was like, how did that end 4 nothing? We're so unlucky. It was like, yeah, that felt like 4 nothing. Uh <laughs> That, uh... I've got no qualms about this scoreline. I, I have no protests that Minnesota got lucky at all. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the way things go. I mean, what else, when your brain is confronted with that, your reaction is going to be either like, I'm not, I'm choosing not to accept this into my brain. I'm just going to pretend that this information has ever been presented to me. Or you can laugh at it because it's so absurd as to be, uh, you know, it causes that, the laughter that comes from a total inability to understand, uh, we're, we're, we're almost on the verge of the, like, mad laughter. Um, we can't process anything except we can laugh. Uh, that's all we've got. We're all mad here, and um, whatever definition of mad you want to use for that, I think it works. And on that, that's as close to a good note as I think we're going to go out on this segment. Uh, stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben. Um... 
You wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Sunday night was when all the news, just all of it, every bit of news related to DC United uh, decided to break on Sunday night in, I think, what amounted to a six-minute span, (laughs) it seemed like, uh, at least between two of the stories. Uh, There's player news, there's ownership news, uh, DC United is active in the transfer market, and that's, that's at least encouraging to hear. Although there's some some backlash against one of the players in particular, and it's the one we're going to lead off with. Steve Goff of the Washington Post is reporting that DC United are close to finalizing a deal with Nigel de Jong, the Dutch defensive midfielder, best known for ninja kicking Xabi Alonso in the chest in a World Cup final, breaking Stu Holden's leg, and nearly breaking Darlington Nagby's everything. Uh, when he played for the LA Galaxy. So, yeah, some interesting takes happening um, around around that one. He's got some baggage with him, but he's also a, a pretty useful player. He's got a range of passing. He's obviously got an edge to, the, to his game that's been missing from DC United this year. Uh there is a defensive midfielder shaped hole in DC United's lineup and he would seem to fill it, but he brings that baggage. Jason, save me from talking around in circles any longer. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there, there, there are some very, well, I, I should say that there are blanket, uh, conflicted feelings because in some, some, uh, pockets of DC United fandom, there's no conflict. It's people do not want this, uh, at all. Um, some of the talk that we had on our site, and I know all three of us have seen this on Twitter, is that there are people that are not willing to follow a team with Nigel Nigel De Jong. They are not; they're done. They would be done at this point. Um, I I wonder. Yeah, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. I wonder if this team were doing well and were signing him as like the final piece to make a real push for a, a MLS Cup bid. Um, if the reaction would be quite as strong, but the fact is that they're not, so that that hypothetical doesn't matter. They're, the team is terrible right now, and uh, there are significant 
qualms that people can have with him because of the it's the thing is it's not like he sets out to play like Felipe where he thinks to himself like I'm going to play dirty today I'm going to um take cheap shots at people um right it's worth like, noting since you mentioned can, Felipe it's worth noting that even with De Jong in the league I I guess he was never in the league during an off season but his name didn't come up during um who is it? Grant Wald. Somebody at, at Sports Illustrated does an off-season survey of players, and Felipe is regularly listed as the dirtiest player in the league. Um, yeah, I think it's Felipe and, and Osvaldo Alonso often are the two guys that get mentioned yeah. there. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, the thing with De Jong is that it's not a, a number of... Like, he's not trying to... Every single tackle, it's not an attempt to be dirty. Um, it's really, he has a tendency to lunge into tackles that he's never going to get to, um, the ball. Uh, and so, but he thinks he's like, oh, I've got the ball. If I just go in, uh, you know, if I throw myself at this, I can get there. Um, but if you're ever thinking to yourself, I, if I throw myself at this, I can get there. You're probably not going to get there. Um, and it's a thing that he keeps doing. And so you have to say like, yeah, this is something where, he isn't learning from his mistakes and saying like, wow, that was a mistake that really hurt somebody else. I shouldn't do that. Um, cause I mean, he's 32 at this point, you know, or, you know, when he was in MLS, it was only 2016. So, um, that part of his game isn't gone. I don't think, I don't think he went to Turkey for the last season and, and r- learned how to play soccer all over again. Um, that part of his game is going to be there. Um, and it's not good because you don't want to see people put, putting in tackles that endanger their opponents. We've complained a lot about that kind of tackling from other players, including players for DC United. Um, I don't think any of us are, are at all in favor of that kind of tackle. Um, on the other hand, if you look at what DC United needs, he checks most of the boxes. I, I mean, the age thing is an issue, definitely. Um, but... He is a much better passer than anyone else on the team that could play defensive midfield. Well, um, and the, the the age thing is my main objection to this. Is it, he is going to be a player for the rest of this season? He might be a player for half to maybe all of next season, but that's going to be it. He's not a long term player. He's not a even twenty uh, eight, twenty nine year old like. Uh, Possibly Juninho out of the Chicago Fire. There was rumors he might be uh, up up for grabs, uh, and that would be a more long term player. But this this would make sense if DC United were uh, challenging for the playoffs this season, and all they needed was a defensive midfielder, and they needed a defensive midfielder to take them over the top next year. But in the situation that this team is in, I I don't think this. Signing makes sense. It doesn't matter what baggage uh, Nigel Diong has, and it's a lot of baggage, and we've t- we've talked about uh, enough of it so far. But even beyond all of that baggage, just his age and the way his uh, uh, talent and skills are going, I-, I don't think it makes that much sense from a soccer standpoint. I think if he can perform for the next year and a half, he makes some sense as a bridge to Chris Durkin, or or at least a bridge to get us closer to the Chris Durkin era if yeah but i, I, if I don't he think is as good and the team is as high on him as as everyone seems to think then having a a rental player for a year and a half makes makes some amount of sense i would say 
I mean, a rental player makes sense, but I think it needs to be a longer rental and a higher quality player if you're going to spend DP money. You're paying for his name and for uh, his uh, Dutch national team reputation, and I don't think he deserves that anymore. Uh, it's just that he's easy to sign because he's out of favor at uh, Galatasaray, and he has experience with MLS. Yeah, He was I mean, only on a... Well, I say only. He was on a $500,000 contract at Galatasaray. So I'm not sure cut, he, how much he, he's he going to. He was cut from the LA Galaxy because he was about to get a giant raise, right? And he didn't get that raise, so I don't think he's going to be holding out for a two million dollar contract right now. No, but it's going to be a designated player deal. Um, yeah, I, I would say that you know the the age thing is a good point. Um, it's definitely a um, an objection that I think just about anyone would would have because we don't know when his physical fall off is going to be and and none of the three of us are watching the Turkish league um I do nope. know that he wasn't a full-time starter I don't think this season uh in Turkey um just based on numbers that I saw rather than I'm not keeping track of lineups in that league there's there's already too many lineups to keep track of here um but um it, it may be that his physical decline could have already begun. We don't. We don't actually have a reason to say. Or we can say that it probably isn't, but we don't have any actual evidence saying that we know that it hasn't happened. Um, and it does strike me as, you know, a bridge to Durkin and or just a desperate times call for desperate measures kind of signing. Like it strikes me as a bit of a band aid because um, this team badly needs a defensive midfielder. Um, they badly need a good one. Um, and he does check a lot of the boxes that would indicate that he would be a good fit in United's style of play. Um, there are, the indicators are that he can be a good one, but he's not going to be a good one for a long time. Um, I feel like the ideal, if we're talking about a bridge to Durkin, the ideal is a guy that could still have some value when you're kind of done with him. You yeah. can move him along. Um, this is not going to be that. Uh, at the end of Deong's contract, I assume it'll just be like, well, your contract is up, so on your way. And he'll be like, yeah, great, thanks. And he'll go do whatever it is he's going to do. Um, and there will be no money coming in to offset any, anything that he you know, took in. I mean, they're, they're not going to have to pay a fee, I don't think, to bring him in. But um, you'd still like to be able to get something back when, he, when a player leaves. And in this case, it seems like a virtual zero percent chance of getting anything back um it, it it's it's a desperate move i think that's a fair statement um it's a it's a move of a team that couldn't find a defensive midfielder last winter and couldn't hasn't been able to find another one for this window um and so you end up if you can't find the perfect fit you're like all right well what that what else is out there and he's what else is out there um I mean, I guess in in a way, I'm I'm grateful that it's not just like, yeah, we just didn't land a defensive midfielder, uh, so this is what it is. Um, that would be more irritating to me. Um, but you know, there's also the issue of you know when he was in L.A. I, I think it was a weird thing that went on when he was in L.A. because there was a a lot of, I mean, us included, a lot of people were just glad to see the Galaxy making signings that kind of didn't make sense, and, and they struggled at the half of the season he played, they struggled. Um, but it was because their roster was a mess. I don't think it was really on him, but I think a lot of it got pinned to him, because generally speaking, 
people that aren't Galaxy fans actively dislike the Galaxy. They're not a team that you just don't care about. You usually have an opinion, and it's usually negative. Um, and he's a player that people generally have a negative opinion of. So the, t- the two of those things together meant that any mistake he made was perceived to be, oh, he sucks. He's a he's past it. He's no good, etc. Um, but I noticed in the reaction yesterday that a lot of Galaxy fans were like, yeah, he was actually pretty good uh, while he was here. Um, and that the issues were elsewhere, mostly Steven Gerrard is what I mean, um, because that, that was a disaster signing. Um, and De Jong was just sort of having to pick up the pieces behind a guy who couldn't run anymore, um, which NYCFC, uh, showed just this past weekend what happens when you field a guy that can't run, um, in soccer at this point in time, uh, so the good, I guess the good news is United does not have a Steven Gerrard or Andrea Pirlo who is just going to stand there and not move. That's good. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's been kind of a fascinating day of reactions be- between the the anger, the people who are relieved to hear DC United doing anything, um, the mixture of how people remember his time in MLS has been fascinating because it's a wide range of. Uh, opinions about what he actually did while he was here, and it was only a year ago, and it's still this Rashomon-style um, variety of, like, this is what Nigel De Jong's, you know, half-season was like, and it's all over the place. And, I mean, we don't have to fully talk about it right now, but I feel like just this kind of signing also is indicative of the fact that DC United hasn't staffed up enough to take advantage of the fact that this new stadium is coming and they haven't, they're going to run into this and just try and do it on the fly and do it, uh, as the, as the, uh, money comes in, uh, January. And that, that's far too late. They don't have the staff to evaluate talent right now. They don't have the scouts. They don't have the ana- analytics people to make changes right now in this window when, a far greater amount of people are available and a far greater amount of talent is available. And I think if, again, regardless of how good Nigel de Jong still is, they're wasting this opportunity to prepare for next year if they only sign Nigel de Jong and they don't really take advantage of this window and sign players who they can uh, either loan out or uh, slowly integrate in and only concentrate on what they can get in the uh, January window going into the new stadium season. Well, we know from Steve Goff and the rest of this news update that they have plans to make two DP offers this window, at least try to bring in two designated players. One of them, it sounds like, is Nigel DeYoung. My anger is also because of the other DP potential signing, but we'll get into that. Well, before we do... um, We've been ignoring the real big question, the important question surrounding Nigel de Young, and that is, um, what cocktail would, what would be in a de Young cocktail? And this was asked us by Filmy Girl on Twitter. And I, I think it's a good question because I think there's, there's a few different directions you could take it. Uh, I, I think my answer is going to be, um, it's, uh, absinthe. Uh, and then it's topped off with a a thin layer of uh, 151. Ooh, okay. I like it. I like it. I don't think those things go well together, uh, but that's the drink you get. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I think you have to have some um, Jennifer in there, Dutch gin. Okay. Um, that was famously used in pirate punches. It was it was the the beverage on the high seas before rum kind of displaced it. So I think you have to have some of that in there, and barring that, some old Tom gin, as long as it's high proof, can stand in there. Um, one fifty one makes a lot of sense. Uh, barrel proof whiskey could make some sense too. I think. Um, How many liquors are in this drink? I'm I'm spitballing right now. I'm. Well, so give us I'm, what you're doing. Give us. I'm what you're doing. In Geneva or one fifty one or, or Geneva or Old Tom Gin would be would be the base, and then I don't know a float of one fifty one or barrel proof rum. Just because there's so many different opinions on De Young, you can you can twist it up in different ways and still have what amounts to a De Young cocktail. But it, whatever it is, it's going to knock you on your ass. I mean, I feel like uh, we can create a knee breaker cocktail. I feel like, like you said, it has to start with gin. But uh, I think from there, it just has to. I, I think you can go with a gin based Long Island iced tea and have that be the start of a uh, a, a knee breaker cocktail. All right. Well, send your ideas for. Uh de young knee breaker lawnmower whatever cocktails to uh to us on twitter at filibuster dcu let us know what you think whatever comes to mind there's no wrong answers just as long as it's something that you know would knock you down the next piece of news involves another former mls player former sporting kansas city uh winger attacking wide midfielder outside forward whatever you want to call him christian nemeth has been connected to DC United. Sporting KC are also trying to get him back and have just inherited a lot of allocation money from Orlando City for Dom Dwyer. And so they seem the favorites to to bring him back. He went to Qatar trying to stay in the good graces of his national team manager and also get a, a boost in pay. Apparently hasn't been getting paid. Uh, his promised wages out there just to get paid. I don't think the Hungarian national team was like, you should move to the Middle East to improve your standing on the national team. That was one of the reasons I read given, but the pay thing was probably more, more prominent, especially. Yeah. So he's, he's coming back stateside one way or another. It sounds like partly because his promised higher wages have not come through like so many soccer teams, his, destination is hasn't been paying players their their full wages mls that's one of the advantages in this league is the paychecks are reliable they come on time and for the promised amount they're just not maybe as high as some other leagues but nemeth wants to come back dc united reportedly in the mix for his services they would have to trade up in the allocation order because he left on a transfer fee uh, United currently checking here dead last in the allocation order after bringing in Deshaun Brown. So it's probably going to take some doing for DC United to get this player. He had a lot of success as a goal scoring winger with Sporting Kansas City cutting in to, to score some, frankly, fantastic goals some of the time. So uh, he's a guy who also fits a need. We've talked about defensive midfielder being a need for DC United. Goals are a need, and uh, so especially from the outside. So he seems to, to fit a need, and I certainly wouldn't mind if 
he became a designated player here. Ben, do you have other thoughts or is this is your objection to the next name on our list? I mean, my main objection is that the next name are on our list, but my my objection to Namath is not about Namath himself. It's just uh, more bafflement about how DC United would be able to uh, acquire him. Obviously, since they're at the bottom of the allocation order, they would have to either trade up dramatically or do a uh, basically a sign-in trade with the team that did select him. And that would require a uh, significant amount of investment. And they did... Uh, acquire $50,000 in allocation money in exchange for an international spot recently, but obviously that's not enough to... That is not the one point get, some million right. that Sporting KC got. Right. And, uh, I mean, I, I think we're... Uh, we assume that they're interested in Namath, and it, reporting has uh, rumored that they're interested in Namath, but it... it it's going to be difficult all around for them to get him, uh, regardless of what uh, their interest may be. I mean, I could be interested in a multitude of things, but uh, there could be people far ahead of me able to get them more than I can. Yeah, I think that's that's the major – that's where I'm landing on it. I mean, um, I know our, our report from Ryan Kiefer has a, a solid source saying that they are interested, but uh, – being interested and being able are definitely two different things. And the fact that Kansas City traded Dom Dwyer, I know that the reaction out there was basically like, if you're going to move him along in a season where we actually have a chance of doing something, you'd better have another move planned. And it seems like Namath is that move. So Kansas City has pressure to get this done, the means to get it done, uh, and a gaping hole in their lineup that requires them to go figure this out. So um, they have a lot more urgency to get this specific player, whereas United just needs better players all around. Um, Kansas City really has a lot of eggs in the Namath basket um, that we, that United just can't match. Uh, and also they probably cannot match, almost certainly cannot match the amount of allocation money that Kansas City can put towards this. So it seems more like a, if Kansas City can't make a deal with him, if they can't reach uh, some sort of uh, deal, then maybe we swoop in. But otherwise, like, there's just no... If Kansas City wants to get this done and Namath wants to play there, then I don't see a way in for DC United, no matter how interested they might be. Next name on our list, since I mentioned it, is a left-side midfielder slash defender currently playing for Darby County or... Uh. Did you want to call them Derby County? I no. don't. I don't because they're they're called Derby County. I I will refer to the famous horse race in Louisville as the Kentucky Derby and the soccer club in England as Derby County. Um, Swedish international by the name of Marcus Olsen has DC United are apparently interested in him. Uh, Taylor Kemp will be out of contract sometime soon, and there's. Not a lot of depth there at left fullback. Chris Korb is there, but he he just returned to the team and isn't necessarily a starting left back in MLS. So Marcus Olsen, um, I Ben, to the extent you don't want him to be a DP, I agree with you. I, I think using a designated player spot or or just that kind of salary at that position is um, misguided, well, probably. 
So yep. I. Uh, see, I would say at that position, it's not so much the holdup to me. It's that we're talking about a 29-year-old from the championship who is Swedish but only has two caps for Sweden and hasn't had any since, I think, like 2012. Um, so we're not talking about the kind of profile of a player who is a fullback who can demand that kind of money. Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to spend DP money, you need to spend it on the core of your team. You need to spend it in central defense or central midfield or striker. I, I or it it has to be such a ridiculous player like a Nicholas Ladero on on a wing that it's just you're not going to get anyone like that uh, poss- any other way. Uh, fullback is an important position, but it's not a you have to spend DP money on this kind of position uh, kind of area if. DC United doesn't sign Marcus Olsen, and if Taylor Kemp leaves for other pastures, they can find somebody else who might not be 100% of Taylor Kemp, but they can find somebody who can either be as good on defense or as good on offense, or they can find somebody to fill that position. So I'm not worried that much about fullback. I The needs of DC United are so much greater in so many other positions that spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and a DP spot on a left fullback is just so far down the list that it just seems ridiculous to me. I can't really uh, object or add much to, to what you said. So we'll move on to somehow the fourth biggest story. Uh, it, it was a report from the New York Times that DC United owners Eric Tohir and Jason Levian are shopping at the very least a portion of the team. They're looking to unload the 35% stake in the club that they, they bought from former owner Will Chang, who uh, divested from, from the club after a, a nice long run. And uh, Will Chang will always be a, a fan favorite uh, among DC United faithful He's no longer involved with the team, and Tohir and Levian are looking to bring some new investors on to replace him uh, almost a year after buying him out. The New York Times report continued, say, citing a source possibly with the um, brokerage that that the owners are using to to shop this around. They cited a source saying that they would also be willing to offload the team entirely. And that's a part of this exploration that they're they're conducting. Eric Tohir got on the phone with Steve Goff, something that doesn't happen all that often, to say, no, we're not shopping the team in any way. We are looking for more investors specifically for that Will Chang, former Will Chang stake in the team. But we're not actively shopping anything more than that. We are committed to the long term. And uh, our, our guy, Ryan Kiefer, at Black and Red United had as has a source that says exactly the same thing. They're committed for the long term. So so did I. And and before, Ben before as well. Steve Goff. Yes. Okay, before Steve Goff, that's right. So Ben Ben was Johnny on the spot getting getting sources to to dispute the New York Times uh classification, their their description of the situation. Either way, um it sounds like probably much ado about nothing as a result of Ben's uh, 
investigation and others saying that this really is, you know, if the right offer came along, anyone would sell anything at, you know, if the right price is named and the money comes through, you know, I'm not looking to sell my house, but if someone offered me a lot more than I think it's worth, I'd have to consider it. I don't know. I don't think that's categorized as me looking to sell my house, but that's, you know, they're the, these owners have, have burned some goodwill, uh, partly through on field stuff, partly through off field stuff, relationships with supporters that when there's a report, they might be selling the team. Some people really grab onto it and some people were celebrating. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic right now in this fan base when it comes to the ownership and any reports about them selling anything. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we don't actually know very much about what's going on beyond the, them looking to sort of replace Will Chang's investment in the team. Um, finding that, that person to take over 30, 35% somewhere in there. Um, that seems like a, a thing we know about, but that also means they're looking for somebody that isn't necessarily going to be a major player in terms of how the club is run. And I feel like the stuff Adam touched on about the fan base not really being in favor of the current owners, you add a new owner to that group, I don't think it's going to change too much unless you add someone that's already in the fan base. Uh, so if you're listening to the show and you have the money where you can actually afford to sit at that table and make a bid for a third of a team that um, I believe the times po- the times article mentioned something about a possible $500 million valuation. Now that the stadium would, or the stadium would be done when the sale goes down. Um, if you can afford that uh, and you think you can get in there and start to actually change things uh, and have it run more your way, then you should probably get in there. Um, we'll, we'd love to have you on the show if you've, if you want to <laughs> do that as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't see this being – if it follows the way that uh, most of the stories that, that we all just mentioned, um, if if all of that goes the way it sounds like it's going to go, things are going to be pretty much the same, um, where there's still the perception that ownership isn't necessarily as connected. I don't know that I entirely agree with that perception, but I think there's a good reason it, it exists um, – and uh, people have a a their grievances are real and they are founded on real things. It's not just people are mad because the team doesn't play style of soccer and this year is very bad. Um, it's it goes beyond that. Um, and I don't know that that's going to change uh, in the near future. It would be nice um, if it changed, and I think it's still possible that it could change. But this ownership, uh, or th- no, I shouldn't say that this uh, sales situation, I don't think is going to really sway things one way or the other. Yeah, I described it as much ado about nothing when you talk about it being a minority stake in the team. And uh, I I will say, you know, these owners haven't invested nothing in the team. Right. They, there is a, a stadium. There, There is a stadium. The, the stadium whose existence ensures the continued existence of DC United as DC United, not right. a team somewhere in Virginia or Maryland or... Uh, Northern California or South Florida. It's a team here. It's our team still. So 
if nothing else, this is the group that got the stadium built. Whatever you think of the stadium, it is the reason DC United remains a team. And these owners get credit for that, even if you give them credit for literally nothing else. They right. they they get that. Um, about the stadium, Steve Goff did include a nugget that the team's investment in the stadium uh, look is getting closer to two hundred and fifty million dollars rather than the hundred and fifty that they had um, they had promised to spend as part of the stadium deal with the city. So it's you know building in this city is not cheap apparently, and. Hopefully that money is going to go towards some, if not fan amenities, then player amenities and uh, a good experience in watching a soccer game. But the it sounds like Toher and Levian are around at least for a while longer. Whatever you may think of it, that's that's where we are. Yep. That's it for our news roundup. It's been over half an hour of just going through the news. So we are going to take uh, another short break and be right back with our good friend, Kristen Knowles from the Vocal Minority Podcast. Stick around. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Welcome back to Filibuster. DC United are back at RFK Stadium Saturday night to host the... Oh, crap. Supporter Shield leading Toronto FC, who are unbeaten since the Gold Cup break. And uh, here to tease us with her successful team is our good friend Kristen Knowles from the Vocal Minority Podcast. Kristen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, you know, I will try to be nice because I like you guys. And we are friends. So, you know, I have a soft spot for DC and that I actually don't really take a lot of joy in what's happening to your team right now. And I mean that seriously. It's rather distressing. I will enjoy likely horrible loss you're going to get handed on. <laughs> but yeah. I really take a little bit of joy in it. Not like the other, not like last night in which, you know, I celebrated a great deal in beating the Pizza Rats. So. Uh, so, I like to think that if Sebastian Giovinco just didn't, like, or if he took the field but, like, sat down for maybe the first 75 minutes, he would only score two goals. Um, one of them from that seated position. Um, <laughs> right off of his head, actually. He would just direct it yeah. into the head. But, but I imagine he's going to participate uh, as if the game is a full game in which he has to give most of his best effort. Uh because why not? Why why would he hold back? Well, yeah. Now that he has that record thing and people, yeah, yeah. I, I'm it's sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, guys. we're that team that he scores three on, even when we're doing well. So that's true. Um, so before we anyway, get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, yeah. Kristen, yes. what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a uh, Junction Craft Ale. A local brewery um, from I don't know, probably a good twenty minute walk from my house. Nice, mm, it's delicious. So, what is it like to have a team that has both top line talent, the likes of Jovinko and Bradley and Altador, and uh, also bring in new signings, and also have massive depth that you just plug and play and don't seem to miss a beat? What is any of that like it's really 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 weird um it is 
hard to adjust to as a TFC fan. Or at least it's hard for me to adjust to because I'm used to uh, being rather cynical about my team. And to throw away all cynicism, which I've been not quite able to do yet. And if you listen to our show, you know that. Uh, but it is odd to... It is odd to be able to support them in this way and to actually enjoy success and to see depth work. Like, this team's never had depth before. Not proper depth. You know, it's usually been a depth charge. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun when you allow yourself to have fun. I think we're all still waiting. Maybe not all of us, but a number of us are still waiting for just something to go horrifically wrong and revert us back to our unhappy little comfort safe space. It's, it's hard to explain, but you know what? It's great to get to watch these guys play. Um, you mentioned the top three of the DP. Uh, the new signing that you have to mention is Victor Vasquez because God... Wait, did he play for Barcelona? Uh, he did play for Barcelona. He's from Barcelona, you know. It's... Uh, it is a joy to watch him. It is the it is silly fun to watch him is what it is. I it, the likes of him, I liken him to Benoit Cheru, only so much better. And that's not an off against Benoit Cheru, who is so intelligent and has been again a real asset to this club and will be a coach with Toronto FC when he retires. Uh, but Vasquez is, you know what? He has been the difference this year, and I think that without him, we would not see the same level of success. They would still be a successful team, no doubt about it. But he's the he's the he's the he's the key that they needed, I think. So, what does he change? I mean, Toronto FC made they hosted the MLS Cup final last year. They, by any metric except the score, outplayed Seattle in that final. What does Vasquez add to that squad? I say this a lot about Victor Vasquez, is that he plays in the matrix. Because he has the ability to see two, three, four steps ahead of everybody else and can send balls to players in spaces that you don't expect and that really no one else has been able to. He is that creative player that they have missed for so long. They tried to make Michael Bradley that person, and I'm sorry, that's just not who he is, at least not for this team. And that was apparent the year that Danny tried to play him everywhere. Victor Vasquez, once the team started to trust him, if you go back to the earlier games, you can tell, one, he is seeing things that no one else is used to seeing. They're not used to running into space for him. They're not used to getting a ball in those close quarters where he can do it. But once the team... Um, and the attacking players learned to trust Vasquez, the difference was immediate and measurable. And he is, he's just brilliant. And he has made a huge difference. And I, you know what, I give a lot of credit to uh, Bez and Vanny for getting him. And, you know, he, he's, he's just great. And I can't say enough good things about him, quite frankly. Uh, Kristen, I know in, in the last game um, where... TFC completely obliterated NYCFC. Um, Oyvind Alseth, who had basically not played at all, but then when Stephen Betashore got hurt, um, became the starting right wing back sort of overnight. He also got hurt um, and was replaced by Raheem Edwards. Um, are you expecting Edwards to to hold down that job this weekend? Because it's not like he's 
he's not really a right-sided player, but also he's still a really good, really fast player that will probably score a goal in DC United. I hope not. I hope he mm-hmm. still plays. Uh, what I would rather see is one of two things. I would rather see Justin Morrow on the right because he has a lot more comfort level playing both sides. Morrow's ridiculously talented and can do that and has done in the past. Whenever you put Raheem on the right, you can see drop off in his play. He's not nearly as confident. He doesn't uh, understand his spacing. Um, he loses some assignments and he doesn't have the same ferocity in his attack because, again, it's not his comfort zone. He's a young player. He still has a lot to learn. So you can put Morrow on the right and leave Raheem out on the left, where he's incredibly dangerous, then that's great. Or you leave Raheem as a sub, um, or possibly Morrow sits. Who knows? Morrow, you know, left the game early with cramps and uh, had a decent gold cup. Um, Maybe Nicholas Hassler finally gets to see some minutes. They're still working him uh, into sort of fitness, but also into understanding how Vanny wants to play. But Hassler is kind of the right back heir apparent with uh, Alsif. So, also MLS's first uh, Lichtensteiner. Yes, yes. Uh, you keep waiting for the flag to go up at BMO. That's how we know he's not playing, or at least that's my my mm-hmm. theory. Is that is if, if the flag isn't hung up. Because uh, they try to put the flags up for all the different international players, which is kind mm-hmm. of fun. Um, if there's no Liechtenstein flag, then Alsif won't see time. Has ha- has no one been able to track down? Is it just like well, no one find a Liechtenstein flag to prove That's to the other theory. We're telling you know we want to let the team know that they should they just need to go to Kensington Market. There are flag shops up and down Kensington Market. They'll be able to find a flag in about two minutes. I yeah, I feel like this is an easily solved problem. Uh, all things considered, um, I, you know, I, I guess my my other question really comes back to um, the the fact that the All Star Game is in place means that maybe some of TFC's players might not get to start in this one. Um, if if that were to come to pass, if if Vanny were to look at DC United and say like, okay, I can arrest pretty much everybody and still win this game with uh, TFC two call ups. Um, which is actually somebody, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but somebody sent me that suggestion on Twitter during the Minnesota game was that this coming week, TFC 2 should be set to play DC United, which might be an even game, maybe. Um, who, which players would you be looking at uh, as far as the guys that aren't normally starting? Who would you look at to step in and, and make a big impact? Uh, you'll see, you'd see Tassane Ricketts, who isn't mm-hmm. a TFC 2 player, but he is the next logical attacking player to slot in. Doesn't always do amazingly well when he starts, um, but he's uh, gotten a lot more comfort at it throughout this season, and he's someone that wears down opposition teams. So if you've got a team that doesn't hold itself together that well right now, he's someone you want out there. Jordan Hamilton, who hasn't had a lot of time, but the time he's had has been pretty quality so far this year, so I would definitely expect to see him. Um, you know, Marco Delgado will play, Armando Cooper will play. Uh, as for other guys from TFC2, you know, if, if, if Vanny wants to go full, let's just do some craziness, you know, maybe Ashton Morgan gets to play again. Um, Jonathan Osorio, who hasn't really seen much time before or after the Gold Cup, only as a sub, he doesn't start much right now, and it's not Osorio's fault. There's just other players on TFC that 
do what he does better. Uh, he's had some good sub moments, though, and he had, you know, one really great moment in the Gold Cup where if he'd scored that goal, he would have been, you know, elevated to legendary status, at least as a Canadian national team player, which admittedly doesn't take much, you know. We, we don't have much. So, um, you know, if there's a possibility that you see Bradley or Alstor or Seba or all three of them sit, I doubt, though... See, it's the thing with uh, with Bradley sitting is that without Benoit Cheru to sort of step in and take his role, um, there's not as easy and obvious choice to slot into that position. Like, Jay Chapman can do it. Mm-hmm. Chapman's, again, more of an attacking player, but he can sit back and do some defense. Uh, and it's always nice to have, you know, some good Canadian blood out there. But um, Bradley likes to play no matter what, right? So... I expect that he will. I expect that he will play. There's a possibility a couple of the other guys sit, but they're also kind of stubborn. And as long as they don't, you know, it's the All Star game. And yes, I'm gonna. I am rolling my eyes as I say that. Um, <laughs> we aren't really spending much time talking about the All Star game because big surprise, DC United had nobody uh, selected for it. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I mean, it would have been kind of amusing and farcical. Uh, Honestly, if they had... it didn't bother me until that. Oh, I'm sorry. Like just the pity. Uh, <laughs> the po- no, that's the part that hurts. Bill Hamid getting a call. Poor Bill Hamid. Seriously, we'll we'll take him off your hands. Now. I'm just sort of kidding. That actually that brings me to my other question, which is. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners have been paying super close attention to TFC, but. Um, Alex Bono has completely taken the starting job over from Clint Irwin. I think it's like 16 starts in a row or something like that. Um, what What's the scenario there? Because I know coming into the season, it was supposed to be Clint Irwin's job. It was supposed to be Clint Irwin's job, and Clint Irwin got hurt. And contrary to the, you know, the, the trope, and, and also stated by Vanny, that injured players can lose their positions just because they're injured. Um... Alex Bono, and you know what? I, it's you can't say a lot of terrible things about Bono. He's not perfect though. Clint mm-hmm. Irwin plays a, a smarter game than Alex Bono. He doesn't necessarily make all of the spectacular leaps into the air that Bono does. But Clint Irwin, I think the defense plays more confidently in front of him, and he doesn't go roaming all over the fucking place. <laughs> uh. So I think they are, instead of gradually turning the starting keeper position over to Bono, they've just decided, ah, let's just do it. And you know what? I'm not in practice. I, you know, I don't go up to the practices to see, so I don't know how he looks in training or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I do I do think it's unfortunate because I was excited when Clint Irwin came to TFC. I'm excited to have what I consider to be a, a fairly high-caliber keeper you know, for our club. And again, a, a smart keeper. There's lots of people can, can leap in the air and, and stop shots. There's not a lot of keepers that have uh, brains as well and ability to sort of read what's going to happen and have, like I said, have the defense play confidently in front of them uh, and know that they have less to worry about perhaps. 
So my question, Kristen, is about the uh, U.S. internationals. There's been a lot of uh, controversy about Josie Altidore and uh, Michael Bradley, but they've been playing well for the United States recently. So how has their play been uh, this early season for uh, Toronto FC? Annoyingly good. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? Um, I said nice things about Michael Bradley last year. I sort of... Once again, once Vanny found a place for him to play and stopped letting him decide where he was playing and Vanny decided where Bradley should play, that changed a lot of things. Um, I will give Josie this last year. An uninjured, injury-free, motivated Josie Altidore. Who knew? I, I apparently lots of other people, but I had my doubts and I was pretty vocal about it. Um, but he has been... He's been something. I, I have been very impressed with his play. However, and this is one thing, and, and the guys on my show will fight me on this probably because they are fans of, I don't know what. Um, there's this really weird need to see the game played fairly. And um, that penalty that he won, please note the giant air quotes around that. Uh, somewhere Alec, you know, somewhere Bedoya was losing his mind on Sunday if he was watching the TFC game. That, that's okay, Bedoya sucks. <laughs> I know, but you know what? I, I do I do like Josie. I like his strength, I like his ability to score goals, I like what he does to draw defenses, I don't like how easily he goes down. And I admit, you know, and I know they're like, Oh, if you feel contact, that's the thing, but it drives the Freaking hell at it. Oh, it drives me mental. But it drives me mental when Seva does it. it and I complain about it then. I uh, I don't like it when Canadian players do an international play. It's something that bothers me. And I realize I'm in the minority on this. People always equate the ability to time waste or the ability to draw a foul or whatever. Yes, there's drawing a foul. And then there's that extra little bit more that just bugs me. But this is just a personal rant I tried but I should stop so I apologize um but no Josie has been he's been a revelation and I am very pleased that we get this Josie that we get to see this quality of play from him and this uh this level from him and then my other question is just about the back line uh, obviously the TFC back line has been pretty good this year but what happens if somebody goes down are they are they able to weather uh injuries are they able to weather an absence more than uh justin morrow's gold cup absence well we already did drew moore was out for several games nick Hagland was gone for two months um so chris mavinga who after you know a couple well a very rough first outing and um, maybe again a little shaky as people had to adjust to him chris mavinga has been fantastic uh, Eric Savaletta has been really solid, actually. Uh, I still... The nephew. The nephew, the nifty nephew. Uh, nepotism is not always a bad thing, apparently. And, uh, you know, Hernandez hasn't been terrible. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not the caliber that he was, but, again, the man's been in the league forever, so give him a little bit of leeway, I guess. No, I think the... The, the center of the defense is um, is pretty good. Hell, even if Justin Morrow, in fact, has slotted into one of those positions at least once and done far better than I expected. I The game he played 
he might have been the center back. I was terrified. I was just, like, horrified. I was expecting all sorts of terrible things. And not only did he do well, he had some really nice tackles, had some smart play. I was like, woohoo, Justin Morrow. Because I love Justin Morrow. He's one of my favorite players. Um, no, I think... I think it was wasn't as good when we're missing, you know, Drew Moore and Nick Hagland and 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 you know, there does the, the depth does start to show its you know, show its paper thinness after you dig down a bit, but the, they've managed to keep one of the best uh, goals against records in the league with all of those defensive injuries throughout the season. Um, and I just wonder you know, what it would have looked like if we'd had them all, all season. So Kristen, say you were to find yourself as the coach of the last place team in major league soccer, and you were coming up against Toronto FC, hypothetically this Saturday at RFK stadium. How would you game plan against your reds? I would watch that Colorado game over and over and over again and do that. And I don't mean the last five minutes when they fell down every 20 seconds. Um, if you play TFC, and especially um, on the road or or at home, because this works either way, if you sit back and, uh, and, and clog up the midfield and absorb the pressure for them, uh, it's... It frustrates them. You take Seba out of the equation, out of the equation, um, and it's you know it's not always easy to do, but it absolutely can be done. You isolate Seba, don't let the Josie get the ball, and take the pass away, take the passing game away from them because that's where they've been really strong this year. Pronos had actually a surprisingly good passing game. You take the pass away, they're done. They can't work through it, even with Victor Vasquez, and he sometimes is the only thing that helps them even remotely break through it, but the teams they've struggled against this year are the ones that have done that, and it has been really interesting to watch, and I'm always surprised that not every single team does it. Now, yes, some teams want three points. They don't want to just pay, play for the draw, but sometimes against the best team in the league, maybe that's the best thing to do. Well, it sounds like a plan for a, a different <laughs> vintage of DC United. <laughs> to, to keep it competent defensively is um, it's a big ask right now. I know. Uh, Kristen, thanks for coming on the show again. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's always good to talk to you guys. And I do mean this. Like, after this game, I will root for you guys to make a triumphant return to semi-respectability. Um, and I'm so sorry that this is happening to you three um, and to the team. And uh, good we luck. We appreciate that you put us first. Well, of course I put you guys first. <laughs> uh, give our listeners a shout where they can find you online. So you can find me on Twitter at KZ Knowles. Uh, you can find the podcast at Vocal Minority CA and then the website, which is vocalminority.ca for uh, all of our ramblings and musings and chatter. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or the podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show and check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. We're trapped in the black box. Peace out.